Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Andy is going to answer this question. What does it mean to be a good friend? Enjoy the message. Uh, This week we're going to talk about biblical friendship. What does it mean to be a good friend? And so let me just ask you this. Who are your friends? Who would you consider to be your best friend? Why do you have these certain friends? What do you look for in a friendship? Uh, For some of you, you became someone's friend because you shared certain hobbies together. Uh, Maybe they're historical friends. You you were their roommate in college or or they grew up in your neighborhood. Uh, Others, uh, you're friends because you you, you work at a particular workplace. Others, you're friends because you like their particular clothes or or, or maybe they're in a social circle you really want to break into. Uh, When that person in that social circle circle says hi to you, you're like, oh yes, I finally made it. I want you to do this. I'll do anything just as long as I can be in this social group. Some of you have friends that are life-giving. Some of you, yes, have had friends or currently have friends that are life-taking. They just suck the life out of you. And these are the type of friends that you never, ever want to be on the wrong side of because you have to tiptoe and you never know when they're going to explode. Every friendship has ups and downs. Uh, no, no friendship is, is perfect. But what I want to talk about today is being a biblical friend. Uh, if you're a follower of Christ today, what does it mean to be a friend uh, in the image of Jesus Christ? Uh, what does it mean to be a friend that is going to be life-giving? And if you are not a follower of Christ, if you're checking things out here, we're so happy that you're with us here at Kenosha City Church. Uh, we have people that come in here every week that are, that are trying to figure out where they're at with the Lord. What I want you to know is we're going to give you principles today of not only to, to be a good friend, but to find the best friend that you can possibly have, and that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, many of you know of my friend Ben. He's a friend of Kenosha City Church. He speaks here. I have a lifelong friend, Ben. We, we met in Bible college. Uh, we've been friends now for well over 20 years. I knew him actually longer than that, as many of you know. Uh, he is a friend who we weren't necessarily friends in high school because he was in the big car uh, smoking a doobie, all right? And he, he, was, he was the biggest partier uh, in the school. Um, he would just tell me the other day of all the other things that he did. I'm like, wow, I'm learning more things about you in high school. And it's the reason why my mom said, hey, keep away from those kids, right? And I'm like, okay. So I went to band practice and he sat in the parking lot while I was in band practice doing what he was doing, all right? But God got a hold of him and he went to Bible college. We became roommates and what brought us, I, I was asked this question the other day, Andy, how are, you, how, was, how are you and Ben still friends to all this time? And I'm like, I don't know, I, I think we just are. And he responded really quickly with an even better theological statement. He said, because it's been centered on Christ. The foundation is on Christ. And that's why decades later, uh, we continue to be friends and uh, share ministry uh, together And for many of you, you will have a few friends that will stand the test of time. But again, you have to examine why has it stood the test of time. So some friends you'll have for life, some friends will fade, and some friends you probably need to cut off. When Ben and I went to Bible college, uh, it was a strict Bible college. I've mentioned this before, but if you're new with us, this college was like a military College. It was my first uh, time uh, in anything Baptist, and I realize there's about 5,000 flavors of Baptist, uh, but I, I grew up in a Bible church, and, but I, wanted, I was studying to be a meteorologist, but uh, God uh, changed the trajectory of my life to go into ministry full-time, and I decided I'm going to go to the nearest 
Bible school there was, and it was a Baptist Bible school, and it was strict. You, you curfew nine o'clock, you had to make your bed every day, you couldn't listen, listen to particular types of music. What do you do when, when, you, you, when they have an all clear, get into your dorm rooms at nine o'clock Bible college? What do you do in college, right? I didn't even do that at home. And so we decided, well, you know what? Uh, let's just, we're at Bible college, so why don't we just start praying? We can have an all call to any guy on the floor. These are all aspiring pastors, right? Let's just pray. Uh, let's just see what God does. And so that's what we did. We had an all-call prayer. And we had guys that we, we were aspiring pastors to come into our room. And as we were praying one night, though, I, I, I smelled something a little funny. It, I, it smelled like what Ben used to smell like, you know? It smelled like weed, all right? Like, what is going on here? This is Bible college. And I, I began to be a little bit suspicious. And later I found out that sometimes parents that grew up in these strict churches would send them to, their kids to Bible college as punishment, not to be pastors. And so I didn't know at that time. I thought, man, these, what are these guys going to be pastors of? And so they were in our room. We began to pray. And as I began to pray, I realized there was some shuffling around. I didn't think anything of it. just thought maybe people were getting a little bit more Pentecostal at the Baptist school. That's okay, Right. And so I went in, uh, so we, we would pray each night, and I noticed that my wardrobe was starting to shrink a little bit. I was like, what is going on here? Oh, my, my shirts were missing. And then I saw some people wearing my shirts around campus. I'm like, what's going on here? So I was a little bit suspicious. The smell, my clothes missing. And so one night while Ben was really deep into prayer, he was, he was beckoning the Holy Spirit. Uh, I was like, you know what? I, he's got this covered. I began to peek. And as I began to peek, I realized one of the guys was reaching into Ben's wallet and stealing some money. And I realized, aha, I see what's going on here. And so the next day, I went into the, the room. And I said, hey, man, uh, I saw you kind of reach into his wallet. Um, I think you were stealing his money, right? He goes, no, I didn't do that. You didn't do that, no. Uh, what if I saw you do that? I think you're a liar. Really? And he began to like go into preach mode to me, and I began to like believe him. I'm like, really? Okay, I may, may, maybe I didn't see that. Maybe I, I, it was after one in the morning. I, I could have been sleeping. That, that's okay. Uh, wait, those are my shirts. I saw my shirts in his closet. I'm like, those are my shirts. No, 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 those aren't your shirts. I have the same shirts. How dare you say this? I'm gonna tell all the people around here that you're trying to accuse me of these different things. I'm like, all right, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. And talk about gaslighting 101. I actually believe that he actually had the same shirts as me and that he didn't steal money even though I actually saw it and I saw my shirts. Why was that? I was losing my mind. But these came from people that have families in the school that were well-known. They had well-known last names. They're a little bit more popular than Ben and I. In fact, one of the guys that stole the shirts, uh, he was the grandson of a historic professor at that school. So we never got the shirts back, and they never dealt with the money. But we felt betrayed, absolutely betrayed, for people that we thought we could trust, we thought we could befriend, we thought they were going to be pastors. They, they failed out of school. They're not pastors today. And all the while, we thought we were crazy. You know, these people, they rejected us, and even though they were stealing from us, the rejection still hurt. And if we look at friends in the wrong way, we'll look for friends in all the wrong places. We'll connect with friends, and even though we're not being pushed towards Christ or some kind of counterfeit idea of Christ, we'll never check ourselves because we don't want to be rejected even though these people may be stealing from us. We all long for friends, whether good or bad. But I want you to know today that the foundation of a biblical friendship isn't somebody you can find in humanity. It's found in the person 
of the Almighty God, Jesus Christ. He's our perfect friend. The Lord Jesus Christ, his ways are perfect. Uh, His thoughts are perfect. He is perfect. But often we place our human understandings, our human expectations on the person of Christ, and we get let down. But I want you to understand this. He is perfect. We are not. In fact, a lot of things I'm going to say today, Doug said last week that a lot of the things he was going to say wasn't going to be mind-blowing, it was going to be basic, and uh, that's a sequel to that. A lot of things I'm going to say this morning are basic. Uh, They're not mind-blowing. In fact, that's this whole series. But don't think, oh man, we're just going to get basic points each week. It's because we are ignoring these points that we're trying to build something on no foundation. It's the reason why our friendships, our marriages, our families are upside down right now. So here's our main point. God is God. And your friends are human. God is God. Let's put that on the screen. God is God and your friends are human. To have a right and lasting friendship and relationship uh, with people, you need to understand these few foundational things this morning. Number one, friendship starts with God. Friendship starts with God. Number two, without God, your friendships will fall into or your relationships will fall into poverty. We're also going to talk about this morning what happens when poverty has set in and you need to make it right and you need to forgive and if possible, reconcile. So, God is God and your friends are human. First thing is this, your friendship starts with God. It starts with God. I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 15, uh, verse 12. John chapter 15, verse 12. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says this, This is my command. Love one another as I loved you. No one has a greater love than this, but to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I did not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what the master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that wherever you ask the Father my name, I will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. What is a friend? Today, I suppose that we can get a couple hundred definitions of what is a friend, but we see here Jesus actually uses the word friend. And so how does Jesus define the word friend? friend. Well, Jesus uses a word uh, that the hearers would understand as one that wasn't just somebody that you knew or someone that you hung out with a little bit or somebody that you just shared some hobbies or some likes with or some video games with. No, it is a friend. The word that he's using is a close companion. He's calling his disciples, you are my close companions. But this word wasn't just used for a close companion. It was even deeper than that. This word was used for somebody who would actually stand up and witness a wedding. A groomsman or a bridesmaid. Somebody that you would entrust your life with. This friend is not just a servant. It's not just a hired hand. or This friend isn't just a boss but one that's side by side with you in life. One that you can entrust your your deepest thoughts and your insecurities, the things that you're struggling with, the things that you can share your joy with and knowing that won't try to outcompete it. The one with whom you can celebrate. 
A friend is one that you can know they will never uh, talk bad about you or if they did wrong you, you would be quick to right those wrongs. A friend is for you, not against you. A friend doesn't use you. A friend is one who gives you access and never puts up the red tape towards your life. And Jesus calls his disciples friends. And the awesome thing is this this morning, church. We can approach Jesus Christ. He's our friend. Yes, he's Savior. Yes, he's Lord. Uh, yes, he's Almighty. Yes, he's revered. But he calls us friends. There's a big, there was a big Christian event growing up in my hometown. It's called Festival Con Dios, all right? And they would, the reason why bands and even presidential candidates would come to our town is we have this giant balloon field. It's used for a week to launch hundreds of balloons, but during the year, it stands empty. And so people are like, let's use this big field for events. And so my small town of 12,000 people would have sometimes epic concerts. It was crazy. Uh, and so this Christian concert came, and the, at the time, the, the biggest Christian band was going to headline it. One of my favorites. I won't say who they were. Uh, but anyway, I got to listen to this band. It was awesome. And then I realized at the end of the concert, their bus was parked in front of one of my friend's farmhouses. All right? How cool was that? So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to boldly approach this band's bus because they're parked in front of my friend's house. Guess what? If they're parked in front of my friend's house, it's free pickings, right? I'm going to go right up to it. I'm going to ask for the autograph, ask for pictures. It's going to be awesome. So as I boldly approached their bus, as I got to the door, their shades went down and the bus door went to my face. I'm like, hey, this is my friend's driveway. What gives? I'm not going to listen to your music anymore, Right? Actually, I understand they're tired. They're going to, you know, maybe 100 different cities. They have to do this all over again. It was 10 o'clock at night by the time they got onto their bus. But I realized, even though I was bold, I didn't have access. But what we see here, Jesus is calling his disciples. He's calling you who are disciples if you're a follower of Christ. He's calling us friends, which means this. We have bold access to him. And we should give him bold access to us. We approach God because he's God. We approach him because he's holy. We approach Jesus because he's savior. We approach him because he's our friend. Think about how amazing this is. He's not someone who's distant. He's not somebody who is like, oh, here you go again. He is someone who is deeply interested in you knowing him. He is our friend, which means he accepts us as we are, but he wants to invite us where he's going. It means that he is always there for us to talk to him and for us to listen to him. We're always there to, to hear his voice through his word and through the empowerment of his Holy Spirit. He's there. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He is patient. He is kind. He is full of everyday grace. He is faithful. Faithful, truthful, he gives us everything that we need. He brings the best for us, even when we don't know it's the best for us. He loves us unconditionally, he forgives us. He gave his life for us, he resurrected us. It, it resurrected him, he resurrected us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants to know us, he knows us, but he wants us to know him, and he wants us to follow him. And he calls us friend. Do you know you're a friend of God? He's not distant in some kind of, what the deists say is, oh, you can kind of know about him, but he's up there kind of like the moon. Oh, there he is. No, he wants to know you personally. So how do you respond to that? We spend time with him. We worship him. We read his word. 
Uh, we seek to be filled by his spirit. Uh, we serve him joyfully. We are transformed, which directly correlates then as we live this transformed life into how we treat others and how we befriend others and what we value in friendship. Let's define this. What is biblical friendship? Biblical friendship is this. It exists when people share a common faith in Jesus and intentionally pursue his mission together. You can be a worldly friend. You can be kind of a on the side friend or you know just kind of an acquaintance or you know you could just be a friend that's just kind of there cuz you're in the room. But biblical friendship is much more than this. If we're going to be a friend like Jesus said to be a friend, a close companion, it can't miss this foundation is when people share a common faith in Jesus and they intentionally, not accidentally, not because it's just there, but intentionally pursue his mission together. We see this in Acts 2.42. The early church, Holy Spirit just came down. 3,000 people just gave their life to Christ. And what they do? They went into real, they went into church mode, right? Everybody's like, I really like, you know, church when it's, you know, 30 people. Guess what? The first church was, a, you know, 120 plus, right? And then when the Holy Spirit came, it became 3,000 plus, right? You see, the idea is this. We aren't to stay the same. We aren't to get comfortable in the church. We aren't to be like, well, I just hope it just stays like this. We want to see the whole city one. We want to see the whole nation one. We want to see this world reached through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's not an exclusive club. And what we see here, though, is that within this context of the birth church, through the, through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we see new attitudes. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to each other. Eh, wrong. That's not what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship. There it is. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. You, you see this is oftentimes we come to church and we want the community, right? Uh, we want a little club, right? We want to be known and we want to be a who's who. But that's not why we come to church. That's not why Christians get together, right? Uh, we, we, Christian friendship, biblical friendship is birthed through the power and person of Jesus Christ. It starts with Jesus. Any other way, it gets inward and sideways, you see, the world where hobbies and interests and, and, and life stages might bring people together, biblical friendship is grounded in something much deeper. Biblical friendship is grounded in the stability of Jesus and his gospel. We may have differences in life. You, we may even have differences on small theological things, but this morning I want you to know that we are all bound together by Jesus Christ. We have much more in common than what we have different. You might look at each other in this room and say, we are so different. Oh, I have such different jobs or different hobbies or different likes, but I want you to know if you have said yes to Jesus Christ, you have way more in common what you don't. As friendship grows, as we worship together, as we spread the gospel together, as we spur each other on, friendship grows and becomes meaningful. So a biblical friend, it starts with God, and it needs to be Jesus-centered our friendship must start with Jesus. We often think that we should be the driving force. If you're a good friend, okay, what am I going to put into it? Yeah, yes, obviously you need to be intentional in your friendships, but we aren't the driving force. The driving force is the Lord God Almighty. The driving force is Jesus. 
But what ends up happening is when we become the driving force, uh, when we start with ourselves, our friendships will inevitably become self-centered. And you're like, well, no, 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 I, I give into my friendships. Listen, here's the deal. What you just said, just called it, right? Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm just, I, I pour into people. You just began with I, all right? Even though you're pouring into people, you're like, boop, boop, boop. I just poured into all these people. Look how good I am, right? <laughs> they need to be jesus Centered, if they are not Jesus-centered, it will turn inward and it will become clicky. Listen, we are not about the click. We are about the cross. The cross is what unites us together, amen? And your friends, they will push you closer or further from Christ. You will push your friends closer or further from Christ. Which is it? Oh, yes, you can do a lot of things in the name of Jesus and yet still push people away from the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that you should only have Christian friends. I would say as a follower of Christ, you're gonna find more in common with followers of Christ and you're gonna find yourself having probably more Christian friends. But you should also have people that are non-Christian friends. You should befriend your neighbor. You should befriend your coworkers. You should befriend whoever, right? But here's the key. You don't befriend non-Christians with you putting yourself out there like, look how good I am. I'm gonna befriend non-Christians. Ain't wrong. You are going to befriend people that don't know Christ with the foundation of Jesus going before you. It must start with Jesus. Now notice this command back in John uh, chapter 15. Love one another, verse 12. Love one another as I loved you. Notice this. Love and care doesn't originate from you. It originates from God. Love one another as I have already loved you. Jesus is the embodiment of what love is. How dare us ever try to redefine love into what we want to make it? That's an idol. Jesus is the embodiment of love. He defines what love is. John says elsewhere in his letter in 1 John 4, 7, he said, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. God is love and the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. So, we are to love like Jesus. And we're like, okay, yeah, I learned that in Sunday school when I was really young, okay? No, no, we are to love like Jesus. That is an incredibly tall and yet impossible order, isn't it? How can we love like God when, when, when God is perfect, his love is limitless, he sees with all perfection and his grace is bottomless? How can we love like that? Listen, you will fail, but just because you will fail doesn't mean that is our trajectory. Doesn't mean that that is our example. You see, if, if we say, oh, I can't do it, so forget it, then our world is gonna be our example. Jesus needs to be our example in loving one another. We are broken, we struggle, we sin, we, we, we struggle with bitterness, but our standard isn't this world, our standard is Jesus, and Jesus is our starting point and our pursuit of our friends and how to love them, and he will guide us in connection, he will guide us in conviction. Most of my friends growing up in middle school and high school were unsaved. I'm, I'm not really close with a number of them today, I actually have more, uh, I would say more friends are followers of Christ now, but I remember the, the kind of the red line. Uh, you know, when you're in it's seventh, eighth, eighth grade, ninth grade, you know, you can, you know, things are fine. But then eventually they started going camping around 10th grade behind their house. 
and they weren't inviting me. And I felt really bummed about that because these are my friends that we play video games with. We'd go paintballing. We'd, we'd rollerblade and play hockey out in the streets, all these different things. And now all of a sudden, they're, they're excluding me. Why are they excluding me? Because they knew what they were going to do I wasn't going to be about. They started drinking. They started doing drugs behind the house. And, and I, I was so bummed, not because I wanted to partake, but because I was losing friends. But yet, if I didn't have the conviction of the Lord in that moment, this isn't me. I'm just thankful to the Lord that he brought conviction in my heart. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for the conviction, I probably would have joined them because I wanted to be accepted. Now, I don't know if people or your friends are pitching tents behind their house and doing drugs, but I want you to know there are things in your life that the, without the conviction of the Lord, you're going to make compromises with people that you want to connect with because they make you feel better, they make you feel accepted, they make you feel whatever, right? And so, the Lord must be the center, Jesus must be the center of our friendships or else we will compromise. As a follower of Christ, you will be confronted with decisions and what you will do and what you will not do, whether it be drugs, gossip, parties, ideologies. And you should not cut out people just simply because they're not Christians. But listen, here's the deal. If you are befriending somebody and their standards are not your standards or their, their morality is, is compromised, you don't do it on their setting. And I even mean Christians too. There's some people that, that, I, uh, that I call sinos. Christian in name only, Right? There are sinos in this world where, they, where they, well, they'll, 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 they'll worship the right way, they'll say the right words, they'll, they'll call you brother, but behind closed doors, they look nothing different than from the world, right? There's no difference. And so that goes for Christians or non-Christians. Jesus needs to be the center. Because without that, we become very selfish and inward. So Jesus, uh, biblical friendship is Jesus-centered. It's also selfless, John 15, verse 13. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends uh, if you do what I command you. So friendship is centered on Jesus. It's centered on his mission and it's sacrificial in nature. Jesus would demonstrate this only a few days after he said this when he went to the cross. Jesus was gonna lay his life down so that you can be rescued from your sins. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not only are you forgiven, but you're rescued from the sin that separates you from the Lord God Almighty. Uh, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, uh, not only are you forgiven, you are made new. You're considered a son and daughter of the king. He calls you friend. You're made alive spiritually. That's, that's the standard of, of friendship and sacrificial love is what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now, this picture is used elsewhere in the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, when Paul is speaking to husbands, all right? So I, I wanna speak to all men right now, all right? Whether you're a husband, whether you're, you're divorced, or whether you're a single dude, and you're, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna get married someday. Listen, this is, this is in, in Ephesians, Paul lays out how to be a good husband. And he says this, I want you to love your wife as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for it. So the Bible talks very clearly, and in, in, uh, in a couple of weeks we're going to talk about biblical manhood and womanhood, and we're going to talk about these roles. Um, but um, the Bible's very clear. Men, I want you to lead spiritually, right? I want you to lead spiritually. Men are like, <laughs> of course you want me to lead, right? This is how you lead, like Christ, who died on the cross and gave himself up for the church. What? Yeah, that, right? 
Now, obviously, you're not gonna, I mean, he's not telling you physically to go buy a cross, two pieces of wood at Menards and build a cross and get crucified. That'd make the paper, all right? And don't do that, all right? So, but what he's saying is this. His, the standard of self-sacrifice is Christ on the cross, which means this. Husbands, future husbands, divorcees, any, anybody I missed, the enemy of your souls, Satan, will love nothing more for you to be passive and weak in the faith. He wants nothing more for you to not, for, for your spouse or future spouse to outdo you in the Lord. Your spouse or future spouse, they want you to lead. And if you don't want your husband to lead, you gotta get that right, ladies, all right? But men, how do you lead your wives, your family? By loving the Lord Jesus Christ with all your might. That means that sports isn't gonna come over God. Uh, that, that doesn't mean that you love something more than you love Jesus, or church is just, eh, whatever. It means that Jesus is your everything. That means that when you love Jesus more, uh, you can love your spouse and your kids better. And listen, here's the deal. Some of you are like, well, I don't have, again, I'm not in marriage. This is like marriage that's theoretical. Listen, here's the deal. Uh, single guys, don't wait to be that guy later. I'm just gonna play another, you know, another, I'm just gonna play Halo a couple more times and then I'll get right with Jesus, right? No, listen, here's the deal. Be that person now. Now. And ladies, single ladies, I want you to know this right now. Do not compromise, do not compromise. I've had, I've, I've had so many conversations over the course of 15 years where ladies have compromised because our men didn't love Jesus. Oh, he told me he loved Jesus. No, no, listen, no, 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 no. You'll know it. You won't have to make excuses for him. You might think you'd be able to navigate that. Well, you know, they're just, oh, they're just so cute, or they're just, oh, we have such great, uh, you know, pictures on, you know, Instagram. We make great TikTok videos, and oh, we have such common likes, and oh, we love all the same stuff and same food. Yes, it's very cute in dating. It lasts maybe a couple years in marriage, but when you start having kids, the differentiation of what you value in the Lord will be a cosmic royal rumble in your house. So we need to die to ourselves and say, Lord God Almighty, in my friendship, in my future relationships, in my family, in my marriage, wherever it is, you need to be the center in leading all of it. And if we're to friend and be a friend like Jesus is a friend to us, it means it's not about me. It's not even about the person you want to be a friend with. It's all about Jesus. Philippians 2.1 says this, if then there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, that is to do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to their own interests, but rather the interest of others. In the marriage world, I don't typically pick on books like this, but I'm going to. Um, there was a book that was really popular 20 years ago, and it was called His Needs, Her Needs, okay? And basically, it was like, hey, you do this for me in marriage, and I'll do this for you in marriage. But if you don't do this, then we're not going to have a happy marriage. I'm like, what in the world, right? 
Like seriously, a good marriage is like, I'm gonna scratch your back and you're gonna scratch my back. Like that, that's, that's transactional, right? It's not about transaction. It's loving God the most and it's loving others above yourself. Notice what Paul says here. The reason being is this. It's so that we can be of the same mind. United in one spirit with one purpose. And that is to make Jesus Christ king. To make Jesus Christ known. To see his mission go forward. And listen, here's the deal. Serving one another and serving Christ. Culture doesn't get this. Uh, even when people do uh, things for society, they do things for others, uh, they often trumpet it on social media. Look what I did today. <laughs> you know? uh, and, and it's not to say you can't put things on social media, just like, but you kind of know it. Like when people are just like, doing a little humble brag, right? We're just going to do a little humble brag right now. Look what I did. <laughs> I, you know, okay, why didn't you do that, right? And so, right? Okay. Culture doesn't understand this about self-sacrifice. You want to know Why? We are naturally born getters. Just think about it. The moment you came out of your mother's womb, you cried. Why? Because you needed something. What did you need? You needed to eat. And every time you couldn't get your food, you would cry. And then you would cry when you wanted to be held. You would cry when you needed your diaper changed, right? And you would cry. And this continues all the way up to threes and fours. It was like, oh, look at that nice little baby. It becomes a temper tantrum and aisle seven at Woodman's. And you're like, well, this is not, no, you're going home. And you wait till your father gets home, right? And then sometimes we don't get the memo and we're naturally born getters and we become teenagers and we have complete meltdowns and telling our parents that they don't know what they're doing when in reality yes they do but anyway and then we get into college and we begin to have fights with roommates and then we get into adulthood and we go around this world thinking we own the joint because we were born thinking we are getters the thing is we are naturally born getters but that is not what God wants us to be he wants us to be divinely appointed givers so in your life are you a taker or a giver? A giver is a person that invests into others without the expectation of gain. Let me say that again. A giver is a person that invests into others without the expectation of gain. This is where you give something to somebody and you're like, oh, man, this, I just might get taken to the cleaners on this one. Now, again, I'm not saying that you should just be completely reckless and give all your money away to, to some guy that you know is running a Ponzi scheme, all right? That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is there are going to be times that you give that you have to understand you might not get anything in return. It might cost you a lot. A giver's not motivated by what am I going to get out of this, but rather how can Jesus be glorified and be magnified through this? Acts 20, 35 says this, and everything I have shown you that by working hard, we must help the weak. In this way, we remember the Lord Jesus' words. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's actually true. It's not just a hallmark tagline. It's more blessed to give than to receive, right? <laughs> like, sometimes I, it's not really that way we want to get, all right? But imagine, and maybe you've seen this before. Maybe you've had kids. Maybe you had a friend where you gave them a present they weren't expecting. And it just elated them when they opened that up. It brings joy, doesn't it? 
brings absolute joy. And to the opposite, if you give a, a, a present and, and they don't like it, you're like, you're kind of bummed. That happened to me a couple days ago. I came back from Colorado. I, I bought my, my kids like collecting soda bottles. And so I, I bought this disgusting soda called dirt soda. Tastes like dirt, says on there. I'm like, they'll, they'll love this. They'll think it's funny. Like my boys thought it was great. My daughter's like, what? You brought home dirt? I was like, oh, yeah, actually, you're right. This is, uh, I have a bag of candy here. Here we <laughs> you know, I didn't have joy in that moment. I'm like, man, I thought about it for a couple hours. Like, I really bombed that one because it really is more blessed to give than to receive. Givers are not looking out for their own interests, but placing others first. So in your relationship, it's in your friendships, are you a giver or are you a taker? Here's what a taker is. The takers are self-focused and only help others strategically. When it benefits themselves, outweigh the personal cost. I want to divide this up in three ways. If you're a taker and all of us fall into this, we will all fall into becoming a taker because we're naturally born getters. Here are the three uh, categories of which you can fall into. I call it the mooch, the methodical, and the mirage. The mooch, the methodical, and the mirage. A mooch, we all know who a mooch is, right? Uh, they don't necessarily want friendship. They just want lunch, right? Like, hey, why are you in my car right now? You're going to Arby's. Okay, I'm going to Arby's right now? Okay, yeah, you're going to get me number one. Can I get number one? Oh, I forgot my wallet. I'm like, it's like this all the time. Like, man, that guy's kind of a mooch, right? Like, he just comes around because he knows he's gonna, we're gonna buy him something. Or, or you know, like, what? Oh, you forgot your credit cards this time? You forgot your cash? A mooch. Hmm. They don't necessarily want anything out of you. Just in that moment, they want that. They'll get what they can take. But then there's the methodical. And this is where I believe that we probably have a lot of methodical, we have been methodical. This is where we count the cost. And like, I'm friends with this person because they're giving me added value. There's just actually a lot of books being written right now that I think are just absolute trash because these books are, have these people in your life because they're gonna add value in your life. Listen, friends will add value to your life, but that's not the end goal. The methodical is this, they are the mooch in disguise. This is a person that hangs out with you does things with you because they want to get something from you or they, you know, they're like, hey, you know, if I hang out with them, maybe they'll buy my oils, right? Maybe they'll buy my Tupperware, right? <laughs> maybe I'll get to go up that social ladder a little bit. But the minute they get what they want, unlike the mooch, they never go away, this person goes away. The methodical will drop you like a bad habit when they get what they want. And by the way, if somebody is wanting something and all of a sudden they come knocking at your door and are like, hey, do you want to hang out? I'm like, my goodness, I have never been in that social circle before. If they're ramping things up, and listen, I want you to know, and you kind of, the alarm bells are going off, like, I think they want this from me. They are, all right? So that should be a red flag for the methodical person. Whereas the mooch takes what they can get, the methodical scratches your back as long as you give them what they want. And this is often where we settle with friendship. I do believe, and I, I'm not saying this in particular to any individual in here, but I believe as a whole, uh, Christians don't know what friends are. We settle for, for people that are not friends. They're just taking stuff from each other. And this is where we often settle, and often people settle for the methodical friend because you like the attention. Never mind, it's fake or it's surfacy. And this is where many of you need a friend overhaul. Then there's the mirage. They talk about how they give all the time. They talk how great they are, but they don't do any of it, right? 
they get found out typically. It's like, yeah, man, I'm just the greatest giver and all these things. You know, like, and, and they're not. Or, or, or oh, man, yeah, I just got to tell you, like, I'll be there to help you. And then they never show up, right? That's the mirage person. They talk a good talk. They fake, so they fool you. With takers, you will feel depleted. They are not life-giving. Takers wants to be invested while givers look to invest in others. And make no mistake, takers talk a good game. They put on a good face, game face. But in the end, they suck the energy right out of the room. And they divide up affections that should be set on Christ. So don't down yourself by thinking you have to uh, connect and up your friendship with a taker that sucks the life out of you. You need real friends. If you're a taker, I want you to know this now, you can repent. We all need to repent. Because when we become takers, it means we're not trusting God. It means we're trusting ourselves to make the friendship or get what we think we are lacking. And we use others for it. So God must be uh, the starting point of our, uh, of our friendships. Uh, it must be Jesus-centered. It must be selfless. Number two... Without God, though, your friendship falls into poverty. If you are a taker and God is not the, the beginning of your friendships, if he's not the starting point, you will approach friendships from a poverty mindset. And many of us have fallen into that. John 15, 16 through 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce, everyone say produce, produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give you, this is what I command you, love one another. Now Jesus did something absolutely unheard of. When a person wanted to learn from a rabbi in Jesus' day, they would approach the rabbi and they would ask him, can I be your student? And then the rabbi would look at the uh, aspiring student and they would look at their credentials, they would look at their talents and they would either accept them and reject them. What Jesus with the disciples was absolutely flip of that, right? The disciples had probably already asked a rabbi uh, if they could follow them. The rabbi said no and so they just gave up on trying to find a rabbi and they found a job, uh, really dirty jobs. In fact, the, fi the fishing trade, of which some of the disciples were, someone was a tax collector, these were just dirty, uh, often guys that, uh, that were untrustworthy, and yet when Jesus saw them, he said, follow me, follow me. Jesus chose the disciples, not by their accolades, he chose the disciples simply because he chose them, not because of their merit. Jesus picked them, and by extension, when you place your faith in Christ, uh, he's pointing at you and saying, I picked you. That can kind of trigger a little bit, can't it? When you haven't been picked by something. I mean, remember in PE growing up, and they would divide up the room, and they'd be like dodgeball. This one particular memory I'm going to give you is basketball, and I was terrible at basketball, and I knew every time that we were going to play basketball, I was not going to be the first to be picked. In fact, I was typically last and it was embarrassing, right? They'd be like, I'll pick this guy, pick this guy, pick this girl, pick this girl. And then it would be usually down to a girl and me. And they always picked a girl before me in basketball. And I'm just like, you'd be like, okay, great, I'm on this team. The team, you don't want me, that's cool. I'll be the referee, <laughs> right? But unlike PE, the Lord God Almighty's looking at you. And you know what he's saying? I pick you. I pick you, 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 I pick you. Why? It's not anything that you did, it's what all Jesus Christ did on the cross, and when he placed your faith and trust in him alone, guess what? He chooses you. And he calls you friend. 
Let that sink in. Shouldn't this make worship just well up from your heart? Go in your mouth and say, praise God. He chose you. But yet we understand when he chooses you, you're a son and daughter of the king. You are not in poverty. You can ask him anything. Doesn't mean he's going to do it exactly the way that you do it, but you have access to go to the one who can. Now, a lot of us don't live in that abundance mindset, do we? We live in the poverty mindset, and signs of friendship as being approached with the poverty mindset is this, a critical spirit. Gossip. Being used or using somebody. The acceptability of lying. Trying to outdo each other to feel better at each other. You know, isn't that sick? But a lot of, and you, we've been in friendships like this where you're in a friendship and you're trying to outdo each other to try to prove each other. You aren't friends. You're just using each other as commodities. Signs of friendships being approached with the poverty mindset is feeling like you're being talked down to or you talking down to somebody. And in the Christian world, it is outward spirituality that's being used as a social spirituality currency. I'm not against, in fact, I want to encourage you to be exuberant in praise. I want to encourage you when we have a prayer team to run to that prayer team. I'm, in, I'm encouraging you that your life be transformed, but may we never do it as an act. May it be from the inside out. Because when we do it from an act, we want to try to outdo and prove to each other that we're doing it right. And it becomes a social club. Listen, Kenosha City Church will not be a social club. If you came to a social club thinking they're going to come to some spiritual club where you can outdo each other, this is the wrong church. Poverty mindset happens when we don't let the Lord lead in everything. And maybe you've been let down. Maybe there's been a tragedy in your life. Maybe you're fighting over something with a friend and it's just gut-wrenching. But I want you to know if the Lord is not leading through this, you will react towards that person or people with a poverty mindset, not reflecting the love of Christ, but instead being angry and ambitious that comes from the love of self. And today many marriages, friendships, and even churches are being torn in two and burnt to the ground because somebody wanted their way. I just spent time with hundreds of pastors in Colorado, and I want you to know this. I want you to know that there are, there are pastors all across this country suffering today because their churches, or the people within their churches, lost course of mission, and they began trying to outdo each other and fight each other. So what happens when this love fails? What happens when a marriage, a friendship, or any relationship for that matter, uh, is in turmoil and someone has wronged you? Well, I'll tell you what most people do. They do whatever they want to do because they've been wronged. But that's not what we do as Christians. In fact, the Bible gives us a very clear path of how to restore our friendships, our marriages, you name it. And it's not whatever we want to do because we feel it. It's what Jesus Christ said to do. And that is we need to deal with confrontation Jesus' way, period. Oh, no, 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 you don't understand. Now, Jesus understands. He gave you the... He gave you the he gave you the steps, right? Oh, no, but you, uh, here's the deal. Like, I mean, I'm really right and they're really wrong. Jesus gave you the plan. You know, I really just want to talk about a bunch of people, you know, because I just, they're so wrong and I'm so right. I'm going to talk. About no, that's not what Jesus said to do. In fact, I addressed more of this in the Doubting God series, which is already online. But let's talk about this in the context of friendship. Addressing the hurt, you need to address the hurt, not with yourself or others first, but with God. And then once you've talked to God about it, you can approach the person who's offended you or wronged you or you have firsthand witness of with the wrong. And you go about 
this friend that's wronged you in humility. Because when we get worked up, sometimes we don't realize we can be wrong. In our passion, sometimes we get blinded. And we need to understand this, is that when we go to this person that's wronged us, we need to do it in humility, because if we're wrong in our perspective, uh, we are guilty of breaking a, a commandment of the Ten Commandments. We are governed by the Ninth Commandment, the Ten Commandments, which says in Exodus 20, verse 16, do not give false testimony against your neighbor. So whether it's a coworker or a friend or a family member or anyone for that matter, you may feel hurt. You will feel hurt. Uh, you'll feel like you need to make it right because you have been so wronged or misunderstood. But that never gives you the right to bear false witness against anyone. Jesus tells us to be sanctified in truth because your word is truth. He tells us that vengeance is his. And we're never entitled to tear anyone down by false witness because false witness is a revenge tool from Satan himself. He's the father of lies, the Bible says. False witness can come in many forms, lying, exaggerating, gossiping, uh, taking a hunch and then communicating it as fact, uh, judging a person's heart and intention by the lens of previous people's slander, or even a collective hunch, what I call a group gang up. Well, those are the worst. There's so much church hurt out there because group gang ups. We're not to be gangsters, right? We're to be a collective that is entrusted with the gospel. If your personal grievance, though, is not false, and you need to try to restore your friendship or relationship, Jesus tells us then how to handle this conflict. So make sure what you're going to say is true. And if it's true, Jesus gives us specific instructions. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen to you, take one or two others with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. By the way, two or three witnesses is required by secular courts in the Roman day. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. This is not my opinion. This is not Kenosha City Church's opinion. This is not some collective American Christianity opinion. This is from the words of Jesus. And he said, when your relationships go south, this is what you need to do. When somebody goes in a mode of grievance, then they go out and gossip. I want you to know Satan has already won no matter how right you feel, Satan wins when you gossip. And if you've been hurt, it doesn't mean that you can go into gossip mode. That will not fix anything. In fact, what gossip does is Satan goes in to leverage that gossip to divide and conquer. And so many Christians today across the Western world are spreading more gossip than they are spreading the gospel. Jesus said you go to that person in private, humbly, with the idea of being restored. And you only do this if you're directly involved, not if you're like, hey, I heard this from Billy who told Sam, who told Frankie, and now I'm telling you. Nope, not, not that at all. And you listen to the person, be humble. If what you brought could have been misunderstood, don't go in with all guns a-blazing. Because listen, when you feel wrong, they sheep that are wrong don't have a right to become a momentary wolf to ravage everyone in your sight. Galatians 6.1 gives us um, some very clear uh, instruction when we uh, talk to a friend who has harmed us or family member or, or anybody. Galatians 6.1 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, if any believers overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently 
and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Remember, a true friend is one. A true friend is one who will always have your back, whether you're right or wrong, and so that you can grow together in Christ, not to blow you up. Be humble because you can be wrong when you're talking to that person. But if, you can, if your confrontation appears that you're right and you're not bearing false witness and you're being humble uh, and they're not listening, then, then bring somebody else that has direct knowledge of it. If they don't have direct knowledge of it, but if they have direct knowledge of it, then you can bring another brother alongside and that, they don't listen to them, then you take it to the elders. But how often when someone has wronged us that we go to the, all the wrong people and we talk about it. I can't tell you as a pastor, like, hey, I just want to tell you about someone on staff. I'm like, hey, well, I'm not that person on staff. You go to that person. Right? Like if, someone, if you have a youth ministry problem, by the way, this is hypothetical because youth ministry is going wonderful right now, all right? But if you had a youth ministry problem, like I just want to tell you I have a, something against Brandon. I'm like, well, I'm not Brandon. Have you talked to Brandon? Nope, go talk to Brandon, right? And that goes for any friend. Oh, I can't believe what, what Jim did to me. Well, did you talk to Jim? No, well, well this conversation's over right now, all right? Jesus tells us not to take our hurt in our own hands. Skipping steps is revenge. In a world that's become very vindictive, Jesus, he tells us to do something that's actually counterintuitive. Don't seek revenge, but instead pray. Pray for those who hurt you. Don't return hurt for hurt. If you don't pray for those who mistreat you, Satan will grab your heart and you will become bitter and you'll become to do the very things that you despise. By the way, this doesn't mean when you pray for your friend that you're seeking to become their best friends again, or, or this isn't seeking to excuse what's happened. It means that you're praying for them. If someone's gone astray, you want to see them be right with God, right? So we need to seek and deal with confrontation Jesus' way. And that deals with forgiveness, finally, and reconciliation. The goal of Matthew 18 is forgiveness and reconciliation. By the way, those, are, those two things are not the same things. You can forgive and not be reconciled. But by the way, if you're not reconciled, uh, there's no way that, that uh, you can't be reconciled and, and then not forgive. You understand? Forgiveness is the foundation of which reconciliation can be built. They differ. Romans 12, 18 says, as if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, forgiveness is a one-way street. It's a one-way street. It only requires one of the offended people to release the offense. It can be verbalized to the person that you're releasing the offense to, but depending on the situation, whether there's danger or the person may twist your words or there may be other circumstances, forgiveness can be released in your own heart. Forgiveness, by the way, is not an endorsement of what happened. It is the simple act of letting it go. It's a simple act of it not owning your identity. It's a simple act of knowing that, God, you have something much better and bigger than the offense that I'm holding on to the past. Forgiveness is not based on your emotions because if it's based on your emotions, you're probably never gonna to wanna to do it. Forgiveness is a choice. And again, people often confuse forgiveness and reconciliation as the same thing. They're not. Forgiveness is required by only one person and is a one-way street. It requires nothing from the offender. C.S. Lewis, he stated it this way when it comes to forgiveness. Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea. You'd agree with them, right? Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. <laughs> it's true. It's easy to tell somebody to forgive. Oh, you just need to forgive. I can tell you, you need to forgive. 
But what I am not feeling when I say that is the pain and the pressure and what's been done to you in your heart. I know that's hard. But it's not about your emotion. It's about a choice. Am I going to let that go? Jesus said, you don't forgive. When you forgive, you'll forgive you. Obviously, uh, salvation is not by uh, works, but by his forgiveness on the cross. It is our example of how we should live. Forgiveness does not necessarily, though, lead to reconciliation. We aspire for that, but reconciliation is a two-way street. People that are in opposite directions have to drive together to a point. Reconciliation is a two-way street and only occurs when there's been repentance of sin. As the offending person seeks to repent of the sin, they cannot dictate the terms on the person whom they hurt. Hey, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reconcile with you, but here are my, here are my terms. When one repents, they stop the offending action. So if you have been hurt by somebody, they've sinned against you, they, don't, they won't want to make it right, you can forgive them, but there's no way you can make them reconcile with you. That's dependent upon that person, right? So you, you are expected to forgive, but reconciliation takes an act of the Lord in two hearts. And reconciliation only occurs if the person that has sinned against you ceases from sinning against you in that way. There's no reconciliation without saying sorry and ceasing from those ways. And when there is that, when there is repentance, depending on the situation, there may need to be boundaries. In fact, even without reconciliation, there needs to be boundaries. Why? Because without boundaries, if you're hurt over and over and over again, it's what's going to happen. If you get bit by a dog and you don't have a fence, you're going to keep on getting bit by the dog. But when you put boundaries up, you put the fence up so that the offending action can stop. Boundaries aren't necessarily bad. They allow you to rebuild trust over time if there's been reconciliation. It may be where you're in a dangerous relationship, though, and boundaries are there, and they're there to protect you for life because that is a dangerous, abusive situation that you cannot let in again. But in most situations, boundaries allow time and grace to transform and build trust again. For forgiveness is commanded, and we need to reconcile when possible. And listen, reconciliation should be ready, locked and loaded in your heart when that other person is still doing what they're doing and that other person is, is so bent on doing whatever they're doing or whatever they're saying about you. Now, here's a moment of heart for you this morning. As we close off this message, we've already landed the plane on the runway and uh, we we're coming up to the gate. But I want you to understand where I think we are here in society today. Yes, an atheist can be ravaged, ravaged the church. But what we have seen is that Satan wants nothing more to take us off the main thing and put us on small things or make it about our personality or make it about our talents to where we war against one another. That's Satan's tool today, I believe, in the West. Um, in fact, our message that we talked a couple weeks ago on, on some of the, on the issues that are hitting the church um, it's, it's kind of gone viral. And I'm, and I'm like, wow, look at that. It's gone, gone all over YouTube right now. Why is that? Because I think people are resonating, that people are so easily taken off the mission. And when you're taken off the mission, guess what happens? In the context today, your friendships start to suffer. Biblical friendships start to suffer. Your friendships begin to be based on other things, other self-serving things. So this is what Jesus warned us. And I believe that we're in this time. Matthew chapter 10, verse 17, he says, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. 
Matthew 10, 21. A brother in this day will betray, betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own son. And children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And all the nations will hate you because you're my followers. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one town, flee to the next. I tell you the truth, the son of man will return before you have reached the towns of Israel. Students are not greater than their teacher. And slaves are not greater than their masters. And students are to be like their teacher. And slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household, which are you and I, will be called even worse names. You see, here's the deal. We're living in a contentious society where people need to know the Lord. But the reason why people aren't hearing the Lord is we are so quick to forget of the mission that's been entrusted to us and that as friends that we need to encourage one another to be a part of. Does that make sense? And so today, what I want you to know is this. Do not let Satan have an inch in your heart today because you're going about relationships the world's way, but God's way. That means that some of you need to do a friend check. In fact, this is our take home uh, today is where is the Lord not, where is the Lord not the Lord in your friendships? Where is the Lord not the Lord in your friendships? Uh, where, where do your friendships need to readjust? Some of you are friends of people that are not your friends. Some of you are, are friends of people and it's like a give or take. Some of you have wonderful, deep friends that, that you're pushing each other to be more like Jesus. And then keep it up, right? But where are you not giving the Lord the lordship? That means the leadership in your life to be a good friend so that everyone can hear the gospel from a friend. Let's let, let's let the Lord just search our hearts. So search our hearts, Lord. Where do we need you to lead us in our relationships, in our marriage, in our friendships? Where are we settling? Where are we being driven by a poverty mindset and not the abundance mindset that we are sons and daughters of you? Where are we settling? Where are we compromising? And Father, I pray for those that today that are on all cylinders in this season, that they have great friends that God, you protect those friendships. But God, I pray that those that are making compromises, they're going to the parties, they're, they're living uh, an outward Christianity at the expense of inward, God, I pray that today they would shed that and say, Lord, I want more of you today. Lord, I, help, I just pray that you'd help those marriages that are struggling today. I pray you help those men that haven't really had an interest in you, that, Lord, they would be completely interested in you, God. I pray for those that, uh, that don't know you today, that, Lord, they can understand that you have called your followers friends, and today they can have you as a friend that will never, ever uh, uh, be imperfect. So just spend time with the Lord. I just want to talk to anybody in this room right now. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you can't just know about him. He's not just something far off and distant. Have you made your relationship with Jesus personal? If the answer is no, you've never personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus, today is the day where Jesus could step into your life, forgive you of your sins, and call you a son and daughter of the King. So if today you want Jesus Christ as Savior, or you're unsure, but you want, I want to make sure, I, I, I want to make this one right, this is the one relationship you need to make right. Because when the world ends, or, you, or your life uh, has come to its end, you will face God. And you either knew him or you didn't. And if you didn't know him, you will spend eternity away from him in a place called hell. Uh, but if you did know him, you'll spend eternity in a place called heaven. Are you certain? Are you certain you have a relationship with Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I just pray for anybody in this room now that wants to place their faith and trust in you. 
that they would just cry out to you right now saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Lord Jesus, I I believe that you resurrected from the dead. Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to save me. We just tell them that right now. If you know that you've never made it personal or you're uncertain, just say, Lord Jesus, save me. I want a personal relationship with you. If that's you, if today you're asking Jesus to save you, if today you're asking Jesus for a personal relationship, will you just look up at me right now? I want to pray for you this week. We just look up and make, awesome, awesome. Anybody else? Great. Thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you for those that are saying yes to you today, that are placing their faith and trust in you alone. I pray that today would be day one of knowing that they have a friend that will never let them go, but more than a friend, a holy God uh, who has paid everything for them to not be, for their sins not to be counted against them. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that because of your sacrifice, you have taught us to live sacrificially, to be givers, not takers, uh, to be people that point people to Jesus Christ, where our relationships will be based on you and not ourselves. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.